Hey guys, welcome to episode 153 of A True Crime Couple. I'm Kay. And I'm John. We want to start this episode off like we always do, saying thank you to all of our listeners for joining us. But we do want to give a special shout out to all of our supporters on Patreon who joined us for date night. This past past, uh, Friday, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. It was just different and fresh, you know, and it was just nice to see, you know, a couple of us pop in and just hang out. It was really nice. We even had like a little Q&A at the end. Yes, which was so much fun. So that was really cool. And if you are unfamiliar with what date night is, we do it with our Patreon subscribers who um, donate $10 and up. That is just um, what we're going to do is one night a month do what we call date night where we watch an episode of Investigation Discovery and we watch an episode of Fear Thy Neighbor. And we kind of just paused it, talked about it a little bit. And it was like our real time reactions as we enjoyed some pineapple margaritas which was, was nice. a really good time because it was in you know honor of cinco de mayo <laughs> <laughs> so um what we're gonna plan on doing moving forward because we know our supporters on patreon are in different time zones that we're actually going to do it multiple times per month so it's a little bit more convenient for people and nobody has to stay up till like two in the morning yeah we, we need to try <laughs> to be as accommodating as possible we just want to make sure everybody gets their fair share, right? Yes. And this was a great um, opportunity to like work out the kinks and like find the right way to do it. So we are looking forward to having more of those because it's really nice hearing feedback and being able to interact with everybody. Yeah, it's different. You know, it's not like we're just talking about the case, but we're also like hanging out with all you guys and like we answering were even questions. answering questions live, which was really cool. I really enjoyed it. It was just so different. Or just talking true crime. Yeah. And scary movies. And And scary movies. And books. (laughs) And books. All right. So um, without any further ado, John, are you ready to hear something crazy? Absolutely. Indiana Purdue University, Fort Wayne, is located in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And it's a collaborative campus that exists between Indiana University and Purdue University. Now, over 14,000 students are proud to call themselves Mastodons which is the mascot, but um, a little over 1,500 actually live on campus. And it is a gorgeous campus, campus that sits on 595 acres, and it's shared with uh, Indiana University, Fort Wayne. That's pretty cool. So It's, it's a really big campus. Very big campus. So with all of that scenery and 32 departments to choose majors from, it truly is like college paradise. And it was for those reasons that Shasta Myers, Liette Martinez, Tanzania Morris, and Mandy Hake chose to call it home from August until May. In August of 2007, Fate, otherwise known as Random College Roommate Selection, placed the girls together. Sophomore Liette, or Lola as she asked to be called because she didn't like when people uh, mispronounced her name. So everyone just referred to her as Lola, that it was the same back home as well. And Junior Mandy were transfer students from other colleges. So that's why those two girls were placed together. Then they were matched with Tanzania, who was by herself in the roommate selections. And once the three girls had a place, Together, there was a fourth girl who then like had to like drop out of housing for whatever reason, and the spot was made available to freshman Shasta Meyer, 
who was asked last minute if she would like to join them as she was on the wait list for housing. So she jumped at the opportunity because this is very well sought after housing on the campus. Now, the girls lived on the eastern edge of campus in the Waterfield Residence Hall. They had hit the housing jackpot by living in the coveted apartment-style living dorms. And especially for a freshman, this is unheard of, but they lived in basically a four-bedroom, two-bathroom apartment. So that kind of is uh, a little reminiscent of when I used to go see you at college because you had a kind of similar setup. Yeah, we had four bedrooms and one bathroom, but that wasn't until senior year. Um, We did have a junior year too, actually. But what's nice about their apartment is it's huge and it's pretty sprawling. So there's two bedrooms on either side and each two bedroom sides have a bathroom to share. And then there's a dining room, a kitchen, a living room. So it's a really big apartment. It's uh, it's nice. Worth the money. Maybe. Well, yeah. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> but it is nice because it does give you the space that you need to, like, you know, get work done or, well, maybe have parties and do other stuff. Right. <laughs> you're, you're able to retreat if there is kind of, like, noise in the area. And, you know, that just like any other apartment or dorm style living it's like kind of where all the action was was in the apartments because the apartments were set up in like a quad formation which also featured like focal hangout spots outdoors so everyone was always in those areas it was the place to be so that's why you know they really liked that they got those apartments And it's this style of living that students often prefer to the traditional dorms because in these apartments, it allows them privacy, peace, and also freedom to not be like as checked by like RAs and stuff like that. But the catch is you have to like your roommates. And sometimes that doesn't always go as planned. And by the end of the school year, one of those girls would be murdered. In the first act of reported physical violence the campus had ever seen. Police say the suspect, 31-year-old Jeffrey Dahmer, has confessed to the killings of 11 people whose remains were found in his apartment. We are all evil in some form or another, are we not? Lock your doors, lock your windows. If you have the ability to provide additional security devices, then by all means do so. When you are away at college, whether you're 30 minutes away or 300 miles away, or you're a freshman or a senior, you all have one thing in common, the fact that you're completely out of your element. And usually, to help them feel more comfortable, college students seek a home away from home in the roommates they're given or the friends they find. And what was nice about apartment 406 was that although randomly placed, the girls became like a perfect match for each other. Lola, who was a graphic design major from New Mexico State University, was soft and sweet. And the three girls really rallied around Shasta and made her feel welcome. She was a freshman living with upperclassmen, so things were difficult for her because... You know, she's not around other freshmen doing freshman type things. So they always made it a point to give her good advice and guide her in the right direction. A few months into the first semester, Lola Martinez got a job at a Mexican restaurant near campus named Bandito's. It was there that she got to know a boy named Brandon, who also worked there. 
She told her roommates all about him and the fact that she was beginning to develop feelings for him. Over the next few months, Brandon became more and more of a fixture at the apartment, and the feelings that the two had for each other were beginning to grow. And the same went for the other girls, too. They had all their boyfriends come over and spend the night, or sometimes friends from home, but it really seemed like to everyone, you know, that any four of the girls were friends with, that the door was always open. So just like any other college living experience, you always had friends in and out. So there always seemed to be a bunch of people in the apartment. See, I could already find something wrong with that in a way, because if anything bad is going to happen, you got to think there's, like you said, it's a revolving door. Yes. So you never know who is in your house, right? That's supposed to be your safe place. So now, you know, one of these people could be a murderer. That is like the kind of, in retrospect, the creepy thing about dorm living is that sometimes you don't know who is, like you said, in your living space. Whereas like I might invite a friend that I meet from class over. Well, I don't know who they're bringing in with them. Exactly. And then imagine in like in that apartment you or in that in that dorm, you have four smaller apartments, but... That person could just be walking around in your living area. In your bathroom. That's not cool. I, yeah. I would not like that. Yeah. I mean, you have to kind of, I, when you're younger, you kind of have a more carefree mindset. I, I say now as adults. I, I don't know. Probably, and we've been doing true crime for six years. So that's why. <laughs> I'm probably the most social hermit that that, that is on planet Earth. That's true. Because I, I love being social. Like So like if I was in, in college. The, you like being social in the comfort of your own home. <laughs> away from people. <laughs> you know what? Maybe a little bit, but yeah, I would not like that. I would probably keep my door closed all the time, you know, that, not about it. Okay. that I had a roommate in college that was like that. I just stayed to myself. Who wanted to stay by herself all the time. She was so funny. She would always like just go back retreat to her room. But that's just kind of the way things were. And from even an investigative standpoint, this is going to become difficult because there are so many people in and out of an apartment you know, doing something like even just simple fingerprinting is going to be really difficult. Yeah, I can see that really being an issue. So despite the fact that there was always a lot of people in and out of apartment 406, the roommates always did a good job of being mindful about the privacy and the needs of each other, meaning that they never had a boy overstay his welcome or have friends over when someone had an early class, a big test, or a paper to write, which really creates a good and thoughtful environment. And that's saying a lot more than most people have to deal with in in dorm situations at school. But then something out of the ordinary is going to happen. With about one month left in the spring semester, Tanzania asked the girls if it would be okay if her mother spent some time with her and stayed at the apartment on the couch while she was in town. Okay. Now, this is very interesting because I find this to be very reminiscent of the Larry Ray case that we covered, which now just recently blew up because of the court case and the Hulu special and all the other um, podcasts about it. But it is very odd to introduce a parental element into a dorm room life situation because that's really where I find that college students, they have their two separate lives, right? What really happens when they're living alone in a college dorm and what they're telling their parents. So to have someone's parent present, it almost 
paralyzes and stops life as you knew it in the college dorm because you're not going to feel, I mean, these girls are underage. If they were participating in underage drinking, they're not going to feel comfortable doing that. They're not going to feel comfortable having their boyfriends around because it's like having a parent there. Yeah, that definitely puts a damper on everyone in the dorms, like, day-by-day routine. Right. But also, I think there's a, a social aspect to this as well, more so, because there is a massive, and I mean massive, spotlight now on this girl and her mother. Because they're probably all saying, well, this is odd. Why is her mother here? What's going on? Is there more to this than we're being told? Because their parents aren't. You know, their, their parents are probably at home. So there probably are questions that are probably are not being answered. No, you're you're right. And I am glad you brought up that question because it does seem a bit odd because college dorm rooms are made for just that, to be college dorm rooms. It's not for people, especially family members, to just be crashing at. And the girls knew that there was a special situation when it came to Tanzania and her mother, and they knew that she had a complicated relationship with her. And because they were such great friends with Tanzania, they wanted her to build on this relationship with her mother that she didn't really have. So they were okay with her spending time there. And at first, when when Tanzania first explained it to them, she said it would only be for a few days. A night or two were her words. And everyone was really good with it. And they thought that it was okay. But then those few days or a night or two turned into a whole week and then two whole weeks. So now she's been there for, for two weeks. And the other three girls were a bit upset by this prolonged stay of Tanzania's mother, Tina, because she was staying on their couch using their kitchen, um, the bathroom. So it was getting crowded and a bit kind of like hard to escape. And to add to the pressure of an unwanted house guest, um, finals were coming up, which meant the end of the school year. And that's just all of that was rapidly approaching. So they had to study. They had to work on big papers. Um, They were also concerned about, you know, having to start packing up for for the summer. And everyone was kind of in party mode at this time. Like, it's the end of the year. Let's celebrate. And they were kind of like suspended from doing any of that. I get what you're saying. My only thing is the one thing that she could have done just to make this whole situation easier is once they realized that I'm talking about everybody in there, once they all realized, okay, this is more than two days. They could have maybe said to the girl, hey, listen, maybe not have her on the couch and have her in your in your actual in room. Your room. Yeah, so that way it's true. just your space and not the collective, because right. it's better to have her in the dorm in her, where she is sleeping than the, you know, where everyone gathers yeah, in the kitchen, living room. It would be room. less disruptive. It would be so so much better and then all she's leaving the room for is just to use the restroom well i guess that's what tanzania wanted to avoid and the girls didn't want to be rude and asking that because then you're saying oh keep your mom locked in a room well i wouldn't say locked in your room but just but that's how it kind of would not, come across yeah, if they asked, asked i guess that. so i would just be I, I i know me i would have been like absolutely not a problem mom get in the room you stay well, in there I, okay so then <laughs> another know? complicated layer of this 
very complicated situation is the fact that Tanzania didn't really have that close of a relationship with her mother. So her mother had had her at 16 years old. Okay. So she's really young. She's even young right now. I mean, she's in her 30s. And she doesn't have a close relationship with her daughter. And I think maybe it might not even be close enough for the two of them to even be sharing a room together. Like she was getting to know her. Tanzania was raised by other relatives, not her mother. It's a complicated and I'm sure very delicate situation. But I think that just like the way the dorms just randomly pick people and put them together and just to see if it works, it could be the same way in this case. If they are sharing a space together, they would be able to further their bond possibly. Oh, that's a and good try point. To, you know, and that's how I would try to look at it. Like if I had a parent that I was on the ads with, if I had to have a, you know, a, an area where I had to share with them, right. that would be the best place to do it. You know, and, and, and the girls really love Tanzania and they wanted good things for her. But I think they were beginning to feel, which I don't blame them, that that's wonderful to do that and to, you know, help facilitate her relationship with her mother. But a college dorm room just really isn't the best place for that to Trust happen. me, I know that. I'm yeah. just saying based on the circumstances that that took place, I mean, I, you know, whatever you got to work with is what you got to work with, right. you know. So it's just all in all, like just a really odd and uncomfortable situation. Yeah. And it was that situation that made all of the girls for the first time all year, really dread going back to the apartment. And it also made them opt out of situations or events that they would normally look forward to. For example, the girls usually always had a movie night. And they they tried to do this like every week or every other week. And it's when the girls got together for a planned movie night. And usually they were all in attendance and most of the time their boyfriends were too or like any other friend that they wanted to invite. But they were starting to get a little, I guess, frustrated with the situation. So a lot of girls opted out of the movie night that had been scheduled for Thursday, April 17th. Mandy often went home for the weekends. So she was an in and out fixture in the apartment and like in retrospect, it was like Mandy wasn't really necessarily as close as the other three girls were. So Lola, Shasta, and Tanzania were closer because Mandy kind of kept herself on the outs a little bit. And that was on a regular basis. So since Tina, since the arrival of Tina happened, Mandy actually made it more of a point to spend more time like at her boyfriend's than she was with the girls in the apartment. So on Thursday, April 17th, when Mandy's door was shut on movie night, the girls just all assumed that she had already left for the weekend just a bit earlier this time. Okay, yeah, because that's just her normal kind of behavior, right? Well, she normally leaves on on Friday, so they're saying, okay, maybe she left on Thursday and she's not going to class on Friday. Okay. But they don't know and they don't knock on the door. She's just gone. Uh, The way dorms work is that it's it's interesting. So it's going to take uh, a key to get into the building that they live in. Then it's going to take another key to get into their apartment and then keys to get into their specific rooms. So Shasta chose not to stay up and watch the movie because she had class early the next day. So it had been Shasta's understanding that the only roommates that participated in that movie night were Tanzania and Lola. But Tanzania's mother, Tina, was also watching the movie, too. So it was really just the three of them for that night. The following morning, Shasta had class at 8.30 a.m. 
When she woke up, she didn't want to go because she didn't feel well, but she rallied and she chose to go anyway. When she got back to the apartment, it was 11.34 a.m. She was on the phone with her boyfriend when she entered and walked straight to her dorm because she remembered that she had a bag of chips in her room that she never put away. So she like went out to go get a midnight snack, grab some chips, and then they were they kind of had like some communal food and the chips were part of the communal food and she didn't want to be responsible for making them stale. So she was like, <laughs> oh, my God, I have to put those away. I forgot. So she stayed in her room for a while after she rolled them up, but then she finally chose to walk out to the kitchen to put the bag into the pantry. And just as she was about to open the pantry door, she noticed that there was blood on it. It was confusing and shocking. Like, she couldn't understand why these two things were together, two things that definitely should not be together. And it kind of dazed her. And she couldn't understand why there would be blood on the pantry door and so much of it. She was scared. So she started calling out to her roommates and she yelled for each of them. But when she didn't hear a reply, she started looking around the apartment for them. She realized then how quiet the apartment actually was. And it was never quiet. Not like this. She went into all of the bedrooms and no one was there. Then she went into the bathroom on the other side of the apartment. And it was there on the floor that she saw Lola. There was blood everywhere. There was so much blood around her that her dark hair looked wet. And her face, although covered in blood, looked distorted and burned. Shasta got down on her knees next to Lola and shook her. She called out to her, but Lola was unresponsive. Shasta was shocked. She panicked. She knew she had to call the police, but she felt like she couldn't. And she didn't know why, but she ran out of the apartment and went to the door of the neighbors across the hall. Instead of finding her phone, she felt like it would be safer to run out of the apartment. She was terrified of seeing her friend like that and terrified of who could have done it and wondered if they were still in the apartment. Even now, 15 years later, Shasta still gets flashbacks of Lola's face covered in blood and burned, and she feels herself running across the hall to the next apartment and desperately pounding on the door. The whole situation haunts her. I mean, that's terrifying. She did the right thing by leaving, just not looking for your phone, just, just going right to the door and leaving. I think so, too. Because, honestly, you're waking up. You don't know if whoever did this is still there. Yeah. Right? So if I, you know, she's saying it's quiet, I'm out. Bye. Mm-hmm. I'm running out and getting help. And she really has no clue when this took place. Um, she has no awareness of it because the way that the apartments were set up is like Shasta's bathroom was on the other side of the apartment. So when she had got up in the morning and gotten ready for class really quickly, like she didn't go on the other side of the apartment to see this. Had this happened last night and she didn't know? Like she was, there was a million thoughts kind of rushing through her head. You almost are kind of saying, how did no one hear this, right? I mean, that's another thing. I mean, I understand everyone has rooms, but that is a very hard thing to have happen where now, 
you have someone that's dead in the, in the apartment. It looks like they've that's where the murder took place, but nobody woke right. up to hear it or stop it. Well, we don't know when it took place exactly. I mean, we've never heard what really happened in that morning beforehand. But I mean, when Shasta went up for class, everyone was there. So at eight a.m. right is when she yes. had class. Yeah. So this had to happen after she left. So, so sometime after eight o'clock. It would have, well, she doesn't necessarily know. I mean, she had seen Tanzania that morning, but she hadn't seen Lola that morning. I see what you're saying. Okay. So she saw other people, just not yeah. Lola. Like she was still like, you know, you don't know what's happening. Like when you're, when you're in college and like you have class at 838 a.m. Yeah, you're running a blur. out of there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everything's a blur. It's hard to keep track, especially with everyone's schedules and everything else. Exactly. Yeah. So it was 11.51 a.m. when emergency services arrived at the apartment. The report for the first responders corroborated Shasta's story. Blood covered the bathroom floor, and it was spattered on the walls. CPR was attempted, but it had been in vain. It looked like there were burns all over the victim's face, hands, and forearm. Liette Lola Martinez was pronounced dead at 22 years old, in her college dorm room. The university made the decision to go into immediate lockdown. It was clear that this had been no accident. It was murder, and the person who was responsible could very well still be on campus. Based on the crime scene, they would have been covered in blood, and they may be desperate to get away, so that could only lead to further confrontation and violence if they ran into someone. So the authorities at the college chose to put it in lockdown. Also, so if this person wanted to try and get back onto campus, they were unable to. But then it also, if they were on campus, they wouldn't be able to leave. I mean, smart. You got to lock it up. You have to. Because you want to protect everyone. Yeah. So everyone on the campus was in shock. It was not an alert that any of them thought they would ever get. It was like something out of a scary movie. A killer on campus. Stay inside. And it was also like something out of a scary movie for the parents of the students who were terrified that something horrible was going to happen to their children. Or had. While no one could exit or come back on campus, the students were all told to report to their dorm rooms and wait until further information was shared. And this happened as the homicide detectives and crime scene technicians did their initial walkthrough of the crime scene. The first thing that they saw was something wrapped around Lola's neck. It appeared to be a t-shirt. It was soaked in blood. And when they removed it, its presence was explained. It seemed to have been there to apply pressure against the deep stab wounds that were in her face, neck, and upper shoulder area. Had she tried to apply pressure to stop her bleeding wounds, or had the killer done that? And if so, why? It, that's uh, that's very interesting because you don't think that that would that would be what you find, you know? Now, what's going on with her burns as well? Well, that will be explained. Okay. Nearby Lola's body, the presumed murder weapon was found. It was a kitchen knife. The knife had blood on it, and it was bent at a 90-degree angle where the blade meets the handle. It must have snapped from the force that was used to stab Lola, like I said, in the face, neck, and shoulder, because it was hitting bone. 
The black handle was also broken from the force. Oh, my God. Yeah. It had been a brutal and frenzied attack. In addition to her stab wounds, Lola's skin was badly burned. Nearby was a pot. And inside the pot, there were watermarks. So it was like someone threw boiling water on her that was inside the pot. So they threw it at her face and she must have put her hands up to block her face. And that's why um, her forearms and hands were also burned by this water. To get to get burned with hot water. Oh, my God. And then stabs. The picture that I'm getting in my mind. Mm-hmm. OK, this is what I'm getting is someone was trying to make something in the kitchen. Maybe they go they go in there. Maybe someone's in their way. That person gets pissed off they start to fight names are shouted one walks away to go into the bathroom the, that person was boiling something picked it up took a knife went in there and that's what happened in there what's interesting is or she was surprised when she was trying to make a breakfast well my question here is was Lola the one that was was one of the woman transfer students no i know that what i'm saying is um was she one that was not too happy about the mother being there well they all three of them were not I know, but she's one of them that what yes. that was displeased with that. Yeah. Okay. I like right now I kinda wanna put a like a red flag on the mother here. Because right. we don't know much about her. And neither does everybody else here. Well except, neither does her daughter. Exactly. So she's right now for me a person of interest because okay. she's been there a long time and everyone was kind of displeased with her being there. So I feel like there could be some sort of Something that incited it is what I'm trying to get at. So I wouldn't be surprised if it was about her. And maybe she is the one that attacked Lola. Okay. That's something that I'm thinking about right now. Well, something that the detectives noted was the fact that the killer or killers made no attempt to clean up the crime scene. There was blood all over the bathroom with no attempt to wipe it up. Blood was also all over the doorframe of the bathroom and it was on the pantry door in the kitchen. There was also blood in Lola's room. On her fitted sheet, there was a bloody handprint, and it looked like it trailed off the bed, like she had reached up and grabbed the bed to kind of pull herself up and had been dragged away from it. So it was clear that this attack not only had been very violent and personal, but that it had taken place throughout the apartment. And their initial guesses right away from looking at the scene and, you know, dealing with a lot of things, especially people that age, their initial guesses were that it was a boyfriend or possible ex-boyfriend based on the rage and violence of the attack. So, like, even if, like, you're saying the mom, but the mom had only known them for two weeks. Like, this is something that was violent. I understand. I mean, it's just something I'm throwing out there. But the the one indication that keeps coming up and up and up for me is the wounds that she was covering. Is it possible that one of maybe, maybe Tanzania grabbed something to put on her neck and maybe the mother like ran out and left. I don't know. Like, I'm just trying to think like what someone came upon the scene, felt bad and tried to like, there was more than one person. Or maybe like, maybe the daughter like walked in on the attack and then like, she saw like, her daughter there and like she booked it out of there and then she was trying to apply pressure but realized she was already dead okay uh, or something like that um 
It's possible. That's okay. what I'm saying. I mean, look, you got to think that with all the layers of security, there could only be like a couple of things that could happen. It's either somebody else on campus that lives there too, mm-hmm. right? Somebody within that dorm room or somebody who's friends with someone that let them in because there's so many layers of security. That's very true. Right? So there's not that many people. Or someone that spent the night. Or someone that spent the night. But still, it would still be, someone would be able to recall that somewhere. Right. Just because of all the keys and the key codes and all that stuff. So another thing that the police department of Fort Wayne wanted to do was inform Lola's parents of her death. They knew that the news would travel fast because of the lockdown, so they decided that, to save time, instead of going to New Mexico themselves, that it would be more timely to tell her family's local police department so they could let them know. And at 2 p.m., the Las Cruces Police Department of New Mexico um, prepared to tell the Martinez family the horrible news that they had to share. Geraldine Martinez had been going about her normal weekday chores. She was actually vacuuming when she saw a police officer and a chaplain walk towards her front door. She greeted them before they could even knock. The officer asked her if she had a daughter in college. She nodded, and the officer let her know that her daughter, Liette, had died. They were unsure of the details because they were not the investigative department, but they knew that she had been murdered. Geraldine had been blindsided and then destroyed by the news. The only thing that allowed her to keep her composure was the fact that she knew she had to call her husband and tell him that he had to come home. On his way home, he knew that something was wrong, so he called Geraldine back and demanded that she tell him what was happening. He insisted on knowing and said he wouldn't go any further until she told him what had happened. And that left her with no choice. So she let him know. She told him that his little girl, the one that he had sent all the way to Indiana to get an education to build a better life for herself, had been murdered in the very place that they were told she would be safe. An insanely hard thing to hear. Yeah. Because... And to have to be the one to tell your husband that. I mean, but it is hard because I'm sure as parents, you do drop your child off to go get an education where you think she's safe and there's security and stuff. You don't think this is going to happen. You very, very much think it's safe. And with the security, I mean, you you feel like it is. I remember feeling very safe in my college dorm room because I remember thinking, well, they'd have to get in through this door and then get in through this door and then they'd have to get in through my door. And Well, I think sometimes places might look that way, but it's really just to make you feel like this false sense of security. Well, yeah, the greatest error you, you is know? humans and yeah. the fact that we let people in or tell people our key codes. Yep. and It's human error. And that happens, especially with kids right. who are very trusting. And I think that campuses also do a really good job of making themselves seem safer than they are because not a lot of the crimes that happen on campus are necessarily reported because then people aren't going to want to come to the campus. So, I mean, I think that a false sense of security is always sold to the parents. And uh, when Lola's father heard the news, he just like lost it on the phone and he was sobbing. And then the, because he heard the news, Geraldine, Lola's mother felt like, okay, I can finally let it go too. And the two of them cried on the phone together. So sad. I know. 
So detectives back in Indiana gave Lola's parents some time to be alone. And after that, they asked to speak with them. After giving their condolences, they asked the couple about their daughter. They said that they knew Lola missed home. She had told them and she'd written online that she missed her family, her friends, and her dog back in New Mexico. She had been at New Mexico State University, but had transferred for the graphic design program in Indiana and to get a new perspective on things and to see the country. What she had said to them and brought up to others was just the normal amount of homesickness that kids feel when they go away to college and not just go away to college, but I mean, she's practically on the other side of the country. So it was typical. It was nothing out of the ordinary, basically was what they said. And Geraldine and her husband actually shared that they believed that Lola had made great friends at school. Their exact words were, she made beautiful friendships. They knew she loved her roommates and she had a lot of fun at her job. So it it wasn't like she was confiding in them about this anger or fight she had with someone or an ex-boyfriend. Like she was just, she seemed happy to them. Right. She also seems like the type that does tell her parents everything. They and keeps were them close. updated. Yeah. Yes. The Fort Wayne detectives were grateful for the information that Lola's parents shared with them. But working in a college town, they had learned quickly that kids that are at school share a lot more with their roommates than they do their parents. Those were the people that they needed to talk to to get a better understanding about what Lola's life at college looked like and if Lola had any love interests or if there was someone in her life that would have potentially been capable of doing this to her. Now, Shasta was inconsolable at the police station. There is footage of her in an interrogation room, and she is clearly distraught. The state she was in made communicating with her very difficult. They tried to ask her if there had been anyone in the apartment or if she could remember anything from the night before or that morning, and she just couldn't remember a thing. She hadn't even been able to tell them if she thought something had been taken from the apartment, if there, if it was like a robbery based crime. She just couldn't remember anything and didn't know anything. She was in a state of shock. And I think that's because of how brutal um, everything was. I agree with you. I think the best thing to do is to get every single roommate from that dorm in the police station and interrogate them, see what they know or, you know, what they don't know. <laughs> and right. also, I'm sure that they could also pull up some... Um, some video ta- like some video footage of the area. I'm sure they had it there at campus, right? Yeah, they were they were in the process of asking the security team to get all of the footage together to give them. So they had requested it, and it was just in the process of getting it. Good, and we know what's great about uh, video footage from like a campus. It can't be manipulated, no, in any way. So which is really cool. So at least we'll have that to see who's been in and out of there. Exactly. And like you said, they needed to talk to the other roommates. So that was really the only thing that they could get out of Shasta originally was the phone number of the other roommates. So they had been able to get a hold of Tanzania and she was going to come down to the station. They also called Mandy, who told them that she was in Michigan. Mandy told them that she had left before the movie night started on Thursday. In fact, she had left so early that she wasn't able to say goodbye to everyone. She got to Michigan on Thursday and told the detectives that her parents could confirm that. 
From there, she went to go visit her boyfriend for the weekend, where he was going to school. She also told them that she had left a note in Lola's bathroom, almost like an alibi. And they knew the note. It had been found at the crime scene. It read, Lola, I'm going to my boyfriend's this weekend. Could I bring your shot glasses in the cupboard if I bring them back? Let me know. Signed, Smiley Face Mandy. Such a college letter. Yeah, I know. (laughs) It really is. And then she brought them anyway without even getting the confirmation. So that is such a roommate thing to do. But that is Mandy's alibi, albeit a very loose alibi. So, you know, they wanted to still check in on Mandy because it's very convenient that that door was shut. How do we know for a fact she wasn't there? Also, the letter, even though that's great that there was a letter left, it almost seems like it could be uh, uh, staged. It seems a little too perfect. Yeah, maybe, yeah. maybe. Finally, Tanzania arrived at the police station, meaning that her and Shasta were at the station together. By this time, Shasta had calmed down a bit and was able to answer some questions. In the recording from the interview, Shasta was asked the last time she had seen Lola, and she answered that the last time she had seen Lola was the night prior, when she had gone into the kitchen to get a snack around midnight or 12.30. They asked Tanzania when she had last seen Lola, and she said that they had had a movie night on Thursday and everything was fine. But once the movie had ended, Lola got ready and went out to go see her boyfriend from the restaurant, Brandon. Okay, so are we thinking suspect number one here, boyfriend? Potentially. Okay, maybe. I mean, initially the police, their their instincts told them that this was a boyfriend or an angry ex-boyfriend. Could this have been someone that she had met before, Brandon? We don't know. But that was their instinct at first. So when they hear love interest, they're... You know, their ears right, perk their up. senses are heightened. Um, but we're missing one thing here. We're missing we're missing a roommate. The mother. The mother. Yes, Tanzania is getting in contact with her okay, mother. Because we need that. We definitely need everyone that Everyone's was there. Thought process mm-hmm. and account of what happened. Right. So meanwhile, back at the campus, the students who lived in the dorms were still instructed not to leave, which was good because the uniformed officers were going around to canvas the area while all the roommates were at the station. The only problem was not everyone was there. The campus was not necessarily a weekend school. Rather, its students opted to either go home or visit the bigger surrounding schools on the weekend. Because of that, it was difficult to get a hold of people. So someone that might have been there Thursday night had already left by like 1130 on Friday. Right. So I because classes had. ended. Yeah. So that really means that even a lockdown really wouldn't make much of a difference because some of them or, or most of them would have already been gone already. And not if the crime happened in the middle of the night and they yeah. left. Yep. So they were really kind of out of luck when it came to eyewitnesses. But they had one better. Like most college dorm rooms, you need a key fob or an ID to get in and out of buildings and then another to specifically get into each room. There were no signs of breaking and entering, so they assumed that the killer would either have had to have known Lola by either coming into the apartment with her, her letting them in, or kind of getting into the building because they were someone people were familiar with. Like, I, like you know when 
all the people that live in your dorm room. So like, oh, someone doesn't have their key fob, you let them in. Or even if someone looks like a student, you just let them in. Or like you hold the door or yes. like whatever. Yeah, that happens all the time. It does. So they were thinking that that could have potentially been what happened. So they checked with security office to ask if there was a way to get the student ID numbers of everyone that had swiped in and out of the building on the night of Thursday the 17th and the morning of the 18th. I mean, that's smart. It's a great place to start. Yeah, and security told them that they could do that. They could get them the ID numbers and times for every restrictive door on campus. It's a lot. Don't get me wrong. But at least they can actually get that information. Yeah, and build a timeline. Exactly. But it wasn't as simple as that. When the information was accessed, it was quickly discovered that there was a problem with the system. The times were very off, and not every door entry was recorded properly. Um the security system would definitely not be helping them. Like people, like you knew someone swiped in at eight, but it was registering as 12. Like, and the IDs were off and sometimes not all doors were recording. So see, that's that a, one was that's a, a problem. Yeah. That's a very big problem. It's a huge problem. Cause, cause with that, you could really keep a uh, track of foot traffic. But now that you can't, that kind of blows. But remember, they still have the security footage, which I think is a little bit more reliable because you can just grab someone else's key. Unless it might not have the right angle. You got to think about it. That's true. It's not like they're rotating at 180 degree. Well, they did have, there was a camera pointed at the hallway. Oh, okay. That's So we would have known who went in and out of their apartment specifically. That's good though. So all of the information was relayed back to the detectives at the station, who then knew that they needed more information from Tanzania. She was really all they had. Upon further questioning, Tanzania said that Lola left around 11 or 12 at night, but she really wasn't sure. It seemed as if both Shasta and Tanzania were confused about the timeline of events, because remember Shasta said she saw Lola at 12 or 12.30 to get a snack. So the detective had an idea, and he thought it would be good because, candidly, he'd be able to watch the conversation between the two girls. So he decides to bring them into the same interrogation room so he could have their conversation recorded and listen in on what they were saying so he could kind of get some indication, like, are are they both lying or is one of them lying? And they might talk about something that they don't want to tell us. So the conversation began as the two girls sat down. They were both crying. They asked each other if they knew what happened, and both of them said they didn't. Shasta told Tanzania that she had been crying for five hours straight and that she couldn't stop. They both confirmed that they had seen Mandy's door closed the entire time, and they didn't think she was home. Then Tanzania said she had gotten dressed nice after the movie night and went out. She thought she was maybe going to see the guy. And then she said that her mother had gone to down to the parking lot to smoke a cigarette and she saw Lola with some guy. So then Shasta says, well, was it the guy that she met at Bandito's? And Shasta and Tanzania said they, they both didn't know. Okay, so we technically do have an eyewitness because the mother says she saw her with a a boy. A boy in the parking lot. Okay. Yes. So they needed to talk to him, this guy. And the girls 
were asked, like, who is this guy from Banditos? Just tell us who he is. And they knew because he had visited the apartment sometimes. So his name was Brandon York. Now, it was kind of strange, right? (laughs) Because the detectives' minds are spinning. And this is really only hours after the body had been discovered. But they have all of these suspects. The roommates, the, the visiting mother, now a boyfriend, and potentially still a stranger from campus a lot of potential suspects there is and now they have to all be ruled out i mean which it seems a little hard at first but maybe maybe like i said before the footage might help or maybe like maybe they're not remembering something or like a maybe they don't think it's relevant or something but it really is so when detectives went about trying to find the contact information for brandon york they realized that they didn't have to he'd been trying to contact them He knew that they were going to want to talk to him, so he reached out first. When they called him, he sounded like he'd been crying. There had been rumblings that something had happened on campus to someone who lived exactly where Lola did. And when she didn't come to work the following day, like she was scheduled to, he knew that something had to be wrong. It was very clear that Brandon was upset, and he was willing to tell the police everything they wanted to know. Brandon told the detectives that after movie night, Lola had come over to his house. They both really liked each other and were excited about where things were going. He said he was just so devastated by what had happened. He said that when Lola came over, she was uncomfortable with something that had happened during movie night. Ooh, so we are finding out something. This is good. Okay. So she said that during movie night, things had gotten really tense between her and Tanzania. While they were watching the movie, she'd been talking, meaning Tanzania. She'd been talking and asking a bunch of questions and making comments. And finally, feeling like she wasn't able to enjoy the movie, Lola said, oh, my God, will you just be quiet and watch the movie? Okay. Now, she said to Brandon, I wasn't mad. I just... Like, I meant it lightheartedly, but I just wanted her to stop talking and asking so many questions because I couldn't even hear what was happening. And she said that it definitely wasn't received the way that she had intended it to be said. Uh, Lola said that the moment she said that, the whole mood in the room just took like a dramatic shift. And for the whole rest of the movie, she felt really uncomfortable which is why as soon as the movie ended, she asked if she could come over. So she said the moment she left the apartment, she felt relieved because it had been so weird. Like the energy was really weird in there. And this is something that made her upset because in reality, she felt like I shouldn't feel weird in my apartment. This guest that's overstayed her welcome for two weeks should should feel uncomfortable or or Tanzania should be nice to me because we're accepting her mother being here for so long but instead I'm feeling like uncomfortable in my apartment and that's not fair that was kind of her thought process right because these roommates never had a problem with each other there was never any animosity or anything bad towards any of them right she didn't do anything wrong she didn't do anything wrong (laughs) yeah but I will say that they're like when a tense situation already exists between roommates The littlest thing could spark a fire. Right, because it's like you become 
It's like, like the whole apartment's filled with gas, tension, yeah, and it's someone just light a match. lights a match. Yeah, exactly. By yep. saying one sentence, like it's so true. Especially, you know, it just it gets complicated. Especially as the year is getting to an end and like emotions are heightened completely. Right, because I mean they're dealing with work and relationships and and, and going school. to school. Yeah, we said at the same time, jinx. Yep. Um, <laughs> but yeah, all those things really do make uh, a. a yeah, collective, you know, like um. Yes, and you're also kids, so like your reactions are, are different and not thought out, you know. Yeah. So Brandon said that Lola stayed until about one or one thirty in the morning. They shared a goodbye kiss and told each other that they would see each other the following day at work. He watched her drive away, and remembered thinking how happy he was, and that he felt like there was something really real between the two of them, and now he couldn't believe that. You know, that was the last time that he would ever see her. That's so sad, right? Because these kids are like building their lives and their futures. You know, you hate to see murder at all. Yeah. But you hate to see it when it's young people building their lives. Right. And especially when you're older, like you're in your later years in college and you feel like, okay, I can make like good decisions. And I think I want to be with this person for a long time. Like. They're the same age when we met each other. I was just going to say, look, look at you. You made a, a decision late in college, right? Look at you. And now here we are. So lucky. <laughs> well, I, wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't looking for praise, but I appreciate it. Here, uh, let, me, let me shake your hand. Okay. Thanks. Good, good, good. good. <laughs> Pound it. Pound it. Okay. <laughs> so All right. Weird. We're good. Okay. So this was a very interesting news for the detectives because Tanzania had not mentioned an argument but it did seem like something that was so minor. So, like, in the minds of the detectives, the detectives that had seen the brutality of this crime, could such a small comment have caused this aggressive murder? Like, they just didn't see the correlation between the two. Because there isn't. Because, in my opinion, it has nothing to do with the, the actual students. Okay. See, you got to read the room here. With this situation, I'm thinking that the mom heard this interaction take place and take it the wrong way. One, because she doesn't know her own daughter that well. And because this is a stranger talking to her daughter like that. So, yes, the cops are right. In terms of the people living there full time, yeah, no. But an outsider that wouldn't know the difference? Right. It would. I I understand. And people are also sensitive in different ways 100 like, percent. i'm a very sensitive person that you comment are. would have i would have thought about that comment you would have cried weeks. i would have cried you would have yes. cried and you would have called me up and told me about <laughs> yes, it yes i would have i know so <laughs> that actually happened several times in college. <laughs> <laughs> and i was here for him and it was okay you were you were great so the detectives reached out to lola's family again to ask them if they had thought of anything The family shared everything they could think of, but it was really hard because they were practically across the country and they were first dealing with the grief of losing their daughter, but also the fact that they felt so disconnected from the investigation that was taking place. So they were sharing everything they possibly could, um, but they were feeling like it wasn't enough, like they wanted to be there, um, which they were making arrangements to, to go there. So they did say that their daughter had told them about Brandon, but they said that she only talked about him in a positive way and the same about her roommates. There was never anything bad. It did come out, though, that and, and like I said before, that the girls weren't as close with Mandy because she was often with her boyfriend. 
So that was really the only thing that the parents remembered their daughter saying that alluded to the fact that there might not be perfect uniformity within the apartment was just that they felt like Mandy was a little distant. So next, the detectives asked about Lola's car. Brandon told them that she had driven to his place, but they weren't able to find her car in the parking lot. Lola's family confirmed that she had brought her Mazda 6 to the campus, and because it was registered in New Mexico, it had New Mexico license plates on it. But it was nowhere to be found in the parking lot. And they also searched the entire campus, and the car could not be found. Well, they knew that she had returned to the dorm around 1 or 1.30. That's how she got into the apartment. So, and when she came back, there would have been plenty of parking. So she wouldn't have had to park far away from where they lived. Um, so they were like thinking, where's her, did the killer take her car? Yeah, I think the killer might have taken her car. So an APB was immediately put out for the Mazda 6. So while the search for the car continued, the detectives wanted to speak with Tanzania again. They wanted to hear about the fight during movie night. And they also wanted to get more information about her mother because they wanted to bring the mother in for questioning. Tanzania said that she did remember the situation, but that it had been nothing, which was why she didn't even mention it to them. She laughed and she said, I do ask too many questions during movies, so it didn't bother me. Tanzania explained further that things were always fine between Lola and her. And when she was asked about her mother, she said she was unsure exactly where her mother was at the moment. And that she did appreciate the fact that the girls were being so nice about the situation with her mother staying in the apartment. Like, she knew it wasn't ideal, and she knew they were doing it for her. So she was appreciative of that, which is just another example and reason why Lola making a comment like that at movie night was really no big deal to her. Right. She's kind of eating it in a way, or not really getting upset about it. I get it. And some people just talk that way. Like, when you live with someone, you know them a little bit. Like, some people do make sarcastic comments like that all the time. And That's why I'm saying it's it, there's no misunderstanding amongst friends and roommates here. Right. So Tanzania had opened up to the girls within the first few months of them becoming roommates about the strained relationship that she had with her mother. Like I said before, Tina had had Tanzania when she was 16 years old. And since then, she had been raised by family members, not by her mother. And Tina had just come back into her life, so she thought that it was nice that she was getting to spend time with her. But she knew that it had been a long time that her mother had been in the apartment, and she understood that she was not often home because Tanzania, on top of going to classes, also had a job. So she knew that it might be a little uncomfortable because Her mother stayed in the apartment because she didn't currently have a job. So even when she was gone all the time, her mother was in the apartment. And that must have been weird for the girls. So um, the detectives asked if, you know, she was able to get in contact with her mother. And she said she'd been trying to call her, but she wasn't picking up the phone. Well, that doesn't seem like a good sign to me. I'll tell you that right now. Because the car's missing. We have a dead body. Of one of the, you know, people in the dorm. And she's missing. And she's missing. No one can find her. It's not good. Not reachable. I don't like it. Doesn't sound good to me. 
Right. So now at this point, the detectives thanked her and left the room. And during that time, Tanzania calls another friend. And to them, she said, what if I never hear from my mom again? Because she wasn't thinking the way you're thinking. She was worried about her. And detectives were not thinking of Tanzania's mother at this point as a suspect, but a potential victim. Oh, really? Yes, because when, like from what Tanzania said, Shasta went to go to class. Tanzania also left for the day. So the only two people in the apartment were her mother and Lola. And now her mother was missing and so was the car. So had her mother been kidnapped, taken, like they were thinking the police were going like a different theory with this. There was a reason why Tina came back into Tanzania's life. Was something going wrong? Was there a reason why she had to crash on the couch of her daughter's college dorm? Was she running from someone that maybe found her? And Lola was just the collateral damage in the middle of it. Right, Did she owes someone right. money. I see what you're saying. Once again, it's 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 layered here because, right, there has to be some crazy circumstances that would make her sleep in her daughter's dorm couch. Correct. I I understand that. I'm just thinking. I don't see it as she might be a victim. I'm thinking. She might be the one that did this because we also don't know what she has been involved in all these years away from her daughter. Well, she has been still like in contact with her family. And but it wasn't that she it wasn't that she was just like out on the run. It was that she was still so young that she didn't have the capability of being a mother at that time. So she was in the periphery of Tanzania's life. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I guess you don't know, but I, right now I'm on the suspicion of the way that she was murdered. Seems like maybe it could have been Tina in a rage of some sort. Okay. I'm just saying, because I don't, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong here, but I, I, I think the boiling of water and then tossing it on, on, on a victim, I feel like a woman would go to do that. I don't know. Maybe I'm just putting titles on things that i shouldn't but i don't know that's just what i'm thinking well the detectives were still unsure about it right because they don't want to be claiming that somebody's a suspect when they're they're really a victim and they should be looking at the crime completely differently that's true too because we don't know and then we're not looking into her disappearance at all so i understand where police are at right now it's kind of difficult right they don't know whether they have two victims or a suspect right and um so they want to talk to shasta again And Shasta told them that after about two weeks of Tina staying with them, the girls asked Tansy, because that's what they call Tanzania, if her mother was going to be staying for much longer. And Tanzania had said, no, my mom's going to be leaving soon because I know she has a bus ticket to go to Miami with another friend of hers. So she's going to be leaving the area. So they thought this was suspicious, too. Like, why is her mother kind of going all over the country? Seems potentially like she's on the run from something which could point to the fact that she might be a, a victim, not a suspect. So they thought this was interesting. Um, Shasta then confirmed that Tanzania said, like, listen, if my mom stays past when she's supposed to leave, 
will have a conversation with her and tell her that she has to leave. So there was a conversation that took place. Tanzania was completely responsive and understanding of everything. So it wasn't like there was this unbearable animosity regarding her mother being there. They understood the situation. They addressed it with her. And she, there was basically a plan of action. Okay. So finally, by the end of the day, the detectives felt like they were going to get some answers for once, some some concrete answers that can't be disputed. And that was the surveillance footage from the college. And the detectives had received the surveillance footage from the Thursday night of like movie night up until first responders arrived. So they had everything. First, the detectives were able to corroborate Mandy's story. She had left Thursday night. So she wasn't like behind closed doors. Because the way it works is that they can't get into Mandy's room. So like she could have been quiet and been there and they didn't know. Like wouldn't that have been the perfect alibi? Just hiding and then and then when it was safe to do so, leave for her mother and father's house? No, like oh. commit the murder commit and then the murder leave. Commit the murder and then leave. Okay. So Mandy was seen leaving with her bags on Thursday and never returning. So now she's checked off as a suspect. All right. That's one. That's good. Lola did leave after movie night and returned a few hours later. Nowhere in any of the footage was Brandon seen in the building entryway, in the hallway leading to the apartment. Nowhere. So he was cleared also as a suspect. The first person who was seen the morning of the murder was Shasta. She left the apartment for her 8.30 a.m. class at 8.21. That's cutting it very close. <laughs> she had run on the class. <laughs> that meant that Tanzania, Tina, and Lola were still in the apartment. At 8.54 a.m., Tanzania is seen leaving the apartment for the day. Finally, Tina is seen leaving the apartment at 9.17 she has a cigarette in her mouth and a sweatshirt on, and it's clear that she's leaving to go have a cigarette. She returned to the apartment at 9.24 a.m., so she was gone for seven minutes having a cigarette. Then, about an hour later, Tina can be seen again on the surveillance footage. She had changed her shirt, and she now had a bag with her, and one of her hands was in the pocket of her hoodie. She can be seen walking out of the apartment and then waiting by the elevator. But while she's waiting by the elevator, she's very antsy and agitated. So agitated, in fact, that she decided that she was too impatient to wait for the elevator. So she just took the stairs. And once she left, she never returned. The next person to come back was Shasta from class, like she said, at 1134. Shasta is seen on the phone. She goes to put her key in the door but drops it because she's holding so much stuff and she's on the phone. She then goes inside and minutes later, like she said, clearly in a panic, runs across the hall to the neighbor and starts pounding on the door of the other apartment. So it seemed like their suspect is Tina Morris. Yeah, I mean, that's what it sounded like from the beginning. But, I know, I was uh, like, damn it. You know, I, you know, but it is very interesting. Uh, I, I really think for me it was the whole, like, understanding of, of you know, trying to understand the room and the dynamic. Obviously, she wasn't understanding 
you know, when the comment was made about her talking, you know, her daughter talking too much, she probably took it the wrong way. There might have been other things that were said over the course of her being there. Yeah. She could have easily overheard a conversation with the fact that they might have been fed up with her being there. For her, yes. It's for motive. Her, I think this was probably a two week build up. Yeah. It's motive. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, it's crazy that that's motivation for brutal murder, but. Brutal murder of someone else's child. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. An APB was then put out on Tina Morris as well as the car. The detectives also called the bus stations to see if Morris had purchased another ticket for herself. She had not. But the detectives didn't have to search for long because Sunday morning they received a call from Tina Morris. She told them that she was in Indianapolis waiting in a park. She knew that they were looking for her and she wanted to turn herself in. She told them that she was sitting at a picnic table. Morris revealed that she had finally picked up the phone for her daughter, and they had had an emotional conversation. Tanzania begged her mother to tell her the truth, if she had done it or not, and she told her that she had. So Tanzania then asked her mother to call the detectives, which she did, to turn herself in. That must have been an insane phone call to, like, if we could mother. have heard it, yeah. All right, because, I mean, that is just something that not a lot of people experience. And the fact that now she's trying to convince her mom to call the police. Well, it's so it's so emotional, right? It's so layered because she felt like she was finally regaining this relationship with her mother. Now something like this happens, and it's devastating. Like, you murdered my friend. Yeah, because you let your mom into your life and then you know very quickly she just kind of turns it upside down yeah it's almost like you you kind of question why you would have why did i even do this in the first place kind of why thing. i let you in yeah yeah when the detectives got to the park morris was sitting at a picnic table as she said she would be lola's mazda 6 was parked in the street as they approached she immediately admitted to having killed her daughter's 22 year old college roommate Tina Morris was brought back to the police station for a formal interview. Morris said that the night before the murder, when she was watching the movie with her daughter and Lola, that Lola was saying, and I quote, a bunch of smart stuff. And she said that she was offended because she thought that Lola shouldn't be talking to her daughter that way. And after Lola left to go to Brandon's house, Morris said she talked to her daughter about what had happened And Tanzania said to her, like, Mama, just leave it alone. And she said she couldn't. Morris said she stewed on what happened the night before, all night and all morning. And, you know, she felt like her daughter was disrespected. So when her daughter and Shasta finally left the apartment Friday morning, Morris decided that it was time she talked to Lola about the way she disrespected her daughter while they were alone. Now, at first, Morris tried to say that Lola had attacked her, but the detective stopped her and said that they didn't believe that, that they knew the two had gotten into an argument and that she had gotten physical and that if she wanted their help and she was confessing that she needed to tell the truth. Morris began to cry and came clean. She said that she had murdered her, but she had never meant to kill her. And that made the t-shirt make a little bit more sense now. She must have been so shocked at what she did 
and then put, you know what I mean? Right, and then put, you know, try to cover her wounds. Yeah. Okay. She admitted that she attacked Lola and that while she was struggling to get away, she grabbed the pot of water that had been boiling on the stove and threw it in Lola's face, burning her face and hands badly. She then, when she got her into the bathroom, brutally stabbed her to death. I mean, listen. <laughs> that is just. Yeah. There, uh, you know. There's a difference between like an accident and that. That it's just. No, it's this is horrific. not an accident. This is not an accident. There's zero compassion whatsoever. I mean, you don't just do that. I mean, you literally broke the knife. Because right. you were stabbing her so viciously. Yeah. And through and through boiling, boiling water in her face. <laughs> yeah. I, that is not. No. You know. She snapped, but, I mean, there's no remorse there at all. No, I agree. The district attorney asked Lola's family what they wanted to do. Tina Morris admitted to the brutal murder, and her story was consistent with the wounds and cause of death, so they believed that she was telling the truth at that point. They could offer her a plea deal and avoid trial, or they could prosecute her to the full extent of the law, which was something her lawyers would fight, and it would involve a lengthy trial. The Martinez family chose to go with the plea bargain because they didn't want to have to go through the trial and hear the graphic details and hear her talk about what she did to their daughter. So with the deal, Tina Morris, at 36 years old, received 60 years in prison. 60 years? Mm -hmm. Okay. And I like when they involve the family in that decision. I think that's really important. I think it is. Morris received the highest sentence allowed under the agreement because she had two previous convictions, one for battery in 2001 and criminal recklessness for setting a fire in 1989. In a statement, the Indiana Purdue University Fort Wayne campus said that they were unaware of Tina Morris staying at the apartment and that it went against their visitor policy of a three-day minimum visit but they were going to be looking to more policy changes to avoid this tragedy from ever happening again. The Martinez family is still working on forgiving Tina Morris for what she did to their daughter. Wow. I mean, I, I'm glad that the campus and then the college, like, you know, that they are trying to change things there. Cause that's also good. I mean, I know it had, it's hard with the visitors, yeah. but no, I know. I just think it's weird. I don't think it is ever appropriate for a parent to be staying in a dorm room for a prolonged no. period of time. No. I not don't even overnight. I find it to be very odd. And it should not be allowed. Well, like they said, it was a three-day minimum, you know. Right. But obviously they had like, no I idea. I understand if it's like a really long journey home. So, like, you're loading up the car or you haul over a few-day period. Maybe. But not let, like, this is, it's the same thing with the Larry Ray case. That Sarah Lawrence didn't know that he was there. Right. How? This is wild. Yeah. It's it's really difficult. But, I mean, I don't blame the college at all. The, no, I'm not blaming yeah. the college. I'm just saying, like, there should be a specific policy when it comes to people over the age of, like, student body age. Yeah. I, I mean, you know what? I think really when it comes to the college first, first and foremost, the college, they're changing guidelines. I, you know, I think every college should just make it more secure as possible. 
and 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 have certain rules in place you know just in case maybe a system that actually records the in and outs and stuff like just a little yeah. bit more an, but, of an oversight but like i said that is easy to manipulate because i can just give someone my student id well, that's that's true what too. we would do because yeah. our student IDs would only let us get into like our dorm rooms. So we would drop our IDs out the window so our friends could get in. Yeah, I mean, I, like I said, it's just the thought. It's Which just is so no, no. But hear me out though. Like, you know, if you're trying to make your parents feel safer, you just make those moves right. to make them feel better. Right. Moving, moving on. You know, with this whole situation with Tina, like, yeah, they, there was obviously something wrong with her for her to there was something else going on you know whatever she did i mean what she did there's no excuse for so i think that's just like where it kind of ends there you know but i kind of had a feeling that it was her the whole time i have to be honest i think you did a good job (laughs) well uh, you know i tried to make the other suspects viable well once you told me that there was you know once i heard that there was no footage of the boyfriend being over there it kind of yeah it was more well yeah that sold it for the detectives too All right. Well, before we go, we just want to say thank you to our new supporters on Patreon. And if you want two bonus episodes of True Crime Couple a month, you can join us at patreon.com slash true crime couple. And you get those two bonus episodes a month starting at just $5 subscription. And with that, you every three months we send out to our new patrons the sticker, True Crime Couple sticker. So that's nice. So we want to say thank you to Tara, Andrea Huey. Jessa, Pina Lopez, Casra Shaverti, Jacedro, Maggie Garland, Elizabeth Miller, Erica G, Mimi Petrakis, Megan Storm, Amanda Bradshaw, Sam Zanarini, Stephanie Woodburn, Lucy, Ashley, Carrie Kemp, Michelle Sahindler, Savannah Weckel, Zenon Noel Duguay, Katir Rothmel, Veronica Walschlager, Lisa, Lisa, L, Brandon Dozier, Alyssa Andrews, Samantha Martini, Emily Diaz, Kiara, Kimberly Cruz, Cody Dury, LC, Desiree Marsh, Nicole Diaz, Fear Beast, Cassidy Prosser, Sophie Ross, Erica Adler, and Rachel Dempsey Swords. Thanks so much for joining Patreon. And if you joined after um, any of those people, I have to update the list for next time. So, and if you joined in the last few months and I didn't say your name, just let us know. So then we can add you to the list. And if I said it incorrectly, I'll say it again, I promise. So you just have to tell me how to say it right. Um, Because I'm sure I made a few mistakes. All right, guys, until next time, don't park next to vans. Bye, guys. Bye.